You have a lot of double A batteries. Uh oh. Have you been spying on me, Mike? I was like, how does Mike know I that? I wouldn't say I've been spying on you. I have been rummaging through the drawers in your apartment, yes. Oh, I don't like that at all. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. Hey, look, sometimes a friend needs a smoke alarm changed. You know what I'm saying? And you got you to gotta help him out. Oh, is the smoke alarm beeping when you checked on my apartment? Yeah, so uh, oh. my wife and I went and checked in on your abode. And uh, it was just very funny to me. I was doing DIY in your house. I was just sorting some stuff out for you. Thank you. I was like, oh, this is beeping, which I'm sure is driving your neighbor insane at this point because who knows how long that's been going on for because i could hear it in the hallway oh oh god oh no we've made some enemies then i guess <laughs> yeah so it's like oh smoke alarm <laughs> but it's like first it's like all right get in a cabinet turn on the water mm-hmm. so we could turn all the taps and then like all right now surely there's a step ladder in here somewhere because i'm not mm-hmm. going to stand on any chairs because i'll only break the chairs so i found the right. step ladder it was in the first place I looked, so I enjoyed the logic in that. Whoever decided to put it in the Coke cabinet, it's perfect. Grabbed it, got it. Yep, that would be my wife. She's in charge of the entire house inventory. I couldn't work out how to get the smoke alarm off the ceiling. Mm-hmm. So I had to Google for uh, an instruction manual. Because <laughs> okay. it was one of these ones, I mean, you probably know this, uh, it's like attached to a plate and the plate is screwed mm-hmm. into the ceiling. So there's like a specific mm-hmm. way to get it off the plate. Yeah, it's like a funny combination lock that, that you mm-hmm. need to do. It's like, oh, two turns turns left and one turn right. And yeah, then and then out. like press in the tab when the moon strikes at the right moment and you can, <laughs> can get the thing down. And then lots of batteries. Yeah. You have lots of batteries. Yes. Well, yes. Yeah. That was a disagreement between the wife inventory management system right. and the husband inventory management system about we need some new batteries and whether or not the old batteries were too old or whether weren't. Okay. Uh, long story short, we ended up with a lot of batteries <laughs> and mixed up the colors and we don't know which ones are the new ones and right. which ones are the old ones. So everyone has ended up unhappy. <laughs> so maybe the smoke alarm's dead already because I don't know what I just got batteries and put them in there, you know? I don't know how old they are. Yeah. It, so if you put the white batteries in, my guess is those are the old batteries. If you put the black batteries in, my guess is those are the new batteries but it's not 100% sure. <laughs> There's also sparkle batteries. Well, thank you for checking up on my apartment. It sounds like you might have to do this again. I also especially appreciated it because there's nothing you like getting more when you're going on a long vacation than while you are at the airport, a notification from your bank that they have decided to reissue all of your cards for no reason. You have more mail than I've ever seen anyone get. There was so much mail. It was astounding. It was like in movies. You know, like you see it in a movie where someone like can't open the door. It was like that. It was so much mail. And then so I think Adina just like collected up a bunch of it. And then that started a whole thing of how on earth to get mail couriered to Hawaii. <laughs> was like, that was like a whole project. It took her the best part of a week to work that one out. I can't even believe I'm getting started on this already. You've hit upon one of my great Hawaii pain points. This whole episode is this. I mean, I have like 6,000 points of Hawaii follow-up to get through anyway, so we might as well start with this one. Okay, let me let me just... There's a lot of small frustrations in life, and one of them for me is, hey, I'm in Hawaii. You know what I would like? I would like packages. How can those packages get to me? Not easily. Mm -hmm. Because, okay, so here's the situation. I was like, okay, Amazon, let's make a deal. I'm going to buy something and you're going to send it to me. Great. Everybody's happy. No. 
So if you want something sent to you, there's a simple piece of information that you need to know. What's the mailing address? <laughs> now, <laughs> before I go any further, just so people can get some sense of what I'm dealing with here, some of the addresses, mm -hmm. including addresses that I'm involved with, include things like take a left at the big tree. That's what you write on the envelope. You're, no, you're shitting me. That's not true. I am not. I 100% am not. You swear. I swear like to you. Like if someone was going to mail you a letter, they would write on the envelope, take a left at the big tree. Where I currently am, no. But this is what addresses are like around here. Okay. Right? So this is like, you need you to understand the baseline. Okay. I have sent envelopes where I write take a left at the big tree on them. And that's how the mail gets to Do them. Do you just throw it out the window when you write mail like that? <laughs> like, you just write, and then you just, just hope a bird comes and gets it? Like, how does that work <laughs> You sound like you're in a Miyazaki movie right now, is what I'm saying. Like, this is what I'm imagining for you. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, because you write it on the envelope, and then you hand it to a hermit crab, and the hermit crab scuttles off with the letter and follows <laughs> the instructions on how to get it to where it needs to go. So, this is... This is it's again, like, there's so much. I don't even know where to start. I feel like every time I, I try to talk about this, I'm just exploding with all kinds of details because no one here ever sees any of this as a problem. And I'm like, I'm the crazy person. Yeah. But I'm not the crazy person because, listen, here's the basic problem. The United States Post Office and private carriers in rural areas are often not friends with each other and they don't work with each other. And so here's the issue. If someone is sending you a package, if they don't use the mail, or let me phrase it this way. Okay, let me, let me what's the best way to start this? Okay, someone <laughs> wants to send you a package. <laughs> like, it should be so simple, right? Uh, well, it should be thing, so look, simple. Yeah, I just need you to understand. That point where you said, how asbestos, that's still staying in, man. I mean, come on. Like, this is too, it's too good as it is. Just, you just tying yourself to not just try to understand <laughs> how do you send a package to someone? <laughs> okay. Okay. So, all right. All right. All right. All right. So, in a row, <laughs> okay. In rural areas, the deal is often everybody gets a P.O. box. Yes. Because in rural areas, basically it's like the post office doesn't have adequate funding to actually send a mailman to the four corners of the earth with how spread out everybody is in a rural environment. Mm -hmm. Like the, just the amount of time to actually deliver the mail is crazy. And so the U.S. federal mail is like, LOL, nope, you're coming to us. We're not delivering the mail to you. That's logistically impossible. So you have to come to the post office. But here's the thing. What the post office doesn't accept is packages from private carriers. So if someone uses UPS or FedEx or any of these various things, they can't send it to your P.O. box. So like the basic situation is the U.S. mail will not deliver to your house. Private carriers will deliver to your house if you give them adequate instructions as to where that house is, but they won't deliver to your P.O. box. Now, everyone seems to be like, yeah, that's quite reasonable. And, but my position is, you don't know what the person sending you the thing is using. Like, you don't, you don't know. It's impossible for you to know. And especially for you, Mike, trying to send me something, mm -hmm. you yourself don't even know what the hell's going to happen on the other end when you send something. Well, the, the bigger problem for us is, 
lots of carriers will not send to PO boxes. They won't do it. So we had to use FedEx, which would have been my preferred one anyway, mm-hmm. but it cost a hundred pounds to send. I didn't know that. I'm a package so sorry. to you. Because they were the only ones that would do it. Nobody else would take it. I mean, what did happen, which is kind of incredible, is like we sent it Wednesday, you had it Thursday, and I don't even know how this is possible. It was like, inc- like I imagine like there's just a guy and he picked it up at her house and immediately went to Heathrow and got on a plane and just took it to your <laughs> beer box. <laughs> but like we, like Adina was struggling for days. Like, can will anyone take this mail? And like she was contacting companies because they said they would take it and she's like yeah but i've been in this situation before where you say you'll do it and then it gets returned to me because you won't take it to the p.o box so we went with fedex i mean i think she shopped around because it costs a hundred pounds right so it's like will Uh anyone do it for less than a hundred pounds the answer was no and this is why fedex can charge you a hundred pounds because they're the only ones that will do it They've got the local hermit crab connection. <laughs> like, yeah. look, it's us or nobody, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so okay, so, so you're a human who I can talk to, and you're even having a problem. But if, if you're doing something like ordering through Amazon, you have no idea how it's going to be sent to you, right? No. So you, you don't know if they're going to use the mail or if it's going to be a private carrier. So I was just like, well, I don't know. I'm going to just roll with it, hope it's a private carrier, and order a bunch of the stuff that I need while I'm here. And I tried so many different variations of the address, and I don't know what happened, but I had like 10 packages. I could see them on the app tracker, right? I'm using Parcel. It's like, okay, it's in New York. It's made it to California. Great. It's made it from California to Honolulu. It's made its way from Honolulu to the island I'm on. Fantastic. Oh, sorry. Undeliverable. Why? Why is it undeliverable? And then I sadly watch it slowly make its way back across. Right? Where it's like, oh, God. There were times where I'm like, this package is 20 miles from me. Can I like run and try to get it before they load it on this boat to send back to Honolulu to send back to the continent? Can I try to intercept this package? So anyway, I had so many packages returned to Amazon and I'm like trying every combination of the address. What's going to work, man? How, how can I make this situation happen? And uh, long story short, Amazon won't let me buy anything anymore. Every single item says, we will not ship to your location. I think I triggered some flag in their system where they're like, this guy, now that I know it costs like $100 every time, is like, this guy cost us two grand trying to ship him a flashlight? No. As long as his address is anywhere in Hawaii, we're not going to do it. So I've been trying to be like sneaky, right? Like I'm changing the address. It's like I'm trying to like move things around in my my Amazon account. I switched the credit cards from like a UK credit card to the US credit card. No, everything I click on, Amazon goes, we won't ship to your location. I was like, God damn it, Amazon. Like 100% my account was flagged. We can't send you things. You let me know what you want. (laughs) We'll put it in a box. Four grand later and FedEx will bring it to you. (laughs) Okay, so listen, you know, like you just want things to be consistent and correct. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a system for things and it should just be consistent and it should be correct. And the thing that I have stumbled upon is the highest success percentage of getting packages to me. Not 100% success, by the way, but the highest rate of success is to do a thing which kills my soul that wants order. And the thing is, I must write the address of where I am, the P.O. box of a relative, 
and then a zip code that doesn't match the address where I am, but instead matches the P.O. box. I know you have not written letters in America. If there is one thing that they teach you in school is how to properly format an address. And rule number one is P.O. boxes and street addresses. They never mix. You don't put those two things on a letter because that's that's not how the system is supposed to work. Like these are two totally different locations. Like it's just, it's, it's not supposed to happen. But it's like, but that's what I have to do. I have to tell people if they're starting to send me something like, okay, write this street address, write this P.O. box, and then the zip code just really gets me. It's like, oh, the zip code only matches one of these things. And the reason is because the P.O. box is in uh, like another town from where we are to go get the packages. And it just, it basically all depends on literally talk to the lady in the post office who's like, we'll keep an eye out. And it's like, oh my God. tricking the system (laughs) and relying on the regional mail carrier to know what that means and then hold it aside for you. We are depending on whoever is the second to last mile, not the last mile person, to make a reasonable decision on how to send this package to wherever it's supposed to go. So sometimes that means it's the P.O. box. Sometimes it means it comes to our actual door. But it's like, it's such a small thing, but it is infuriating. And for other stuff that I've tried to order and have sent to the house, plenty of companies will simply not let you format an address in this way. No, that's an incorrect address. Everyone knows you can't do this. The street address doesn't match the zip code that you've put there. I know. I know. But you don't understand. We're depending on three people on the island to catch this and know what to do. I know it's not formatted correctly, but just send it. Just send it. And when it gets to the island... 80% chance it's going to make it to me, and only a 20% chance it's going to get shipped back to you. So that's how the mail works in Hawaii. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by our friends at Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for you to build your brand and grow your business online. You can stand out with a beautiful website, engage with your audience, and sell anything, your products, services, even the content that you create, because Squarespace has got you covered. Using Squarespace, you'll be able to sell your products in an online store. Whether you sell physical goods, digital goods, it doesn't matter. They have all of the tools and integrations that you need to start selling online. Hey, then once you've found those new customers and you want to be able to contact them, why not stand out in any inbox of a Squarespace email campaign? You can encourage your visitors to sign up as email subscribers and start them on a journey to becoming loyal customers. You can start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and logo. Plus, you can use their built-in analytics to measure the impact of every send. And that, by the way, that customization, that also obviously applies to your Squarespace website. You start with one of the beautiful templates and there's so many to choose from. You just look at the category of business or website that you want to make to be the perfect starting place, but you can customize it, make it look and feel however you want. Of course, Squarespace isn't all about selling things. They're fantastic for just about any type of website you want to make. You know, you can get blogging with Squarespace. They have powerful blogging tools to help you share your stories, your photos, videos, your updates. You can categorize, share, and schedule your posts to make your content work for you. These are just some of the many reasons that I have been a very happy and loyal Squarespace customer of my own. I pay for my own Squarespace websites, and I've been doing this for over 10 years. I really love what they do, and just it makes it so easy for me to put what I want online. 
Head to squarespace.com slash cortex and you can sign up for a free trial today with no credit card required. Then when you're ready to launch, use the offer code cortex and you'll save 10% of your first purchase of a website or domain. That is squarespace.com slash cortex and use the offer code cortex when you sign up to get 10% of your first purchase and show your support for the show. Our thanks to Squarespace for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. There were a number of people in the subreddit and on Twitter, I think, and in the Relay FM Discord as well, who were saying, oh, you didn't put any of those spider photos in the show notes. Let me tell you, Cortexans, what you don't want is for Gray to send you spider photos because the last month of my life has gone like this. Message from CGP Gray. Pop quiz! That's how he starts every message he sends me now. Pop quiz and then an image. Spot the spider. <laughs> but they know, no, but you never say that. You just say pop quiz. And then I have to look at this image and try and decipher, because sometimes it's not spiders, and just try and decipher what it is I'm looking for. And I think my problem was I was engaging with you because they got increasingly horrifying as time has gone on, and they have continued to. And now... Like a lot of people who would have said, hey, I wanted to see one of those. If these people follow mm-hmm. you on Twitter, they will have seen the kinds of images that you've been sending me. I will put them in the show notes too in case people want to go and subject <laughs> themselves to just abject horrors that you've been dealing with. Yeah, see, the problem for you, Mike, is that you are sympathetic to my situation. I and am. no one here is sympathetic to my situation. This is where it's like, do I, there is nothing in the world I want less than these images, but my care for you is one of my closest friends. I know why these images are being sent to me, <laughs> so I'm allowing it, right? <laughs> because if you were at home and was just mm-hmm. Googling pictures of spiders and kept sending them to me, I would block you. I'd be like, yeah. until you can totally learn <laughs> to stop, I'm blocking you. You can send me an email when you're ready to be unblocked, but for now, you're blocked. <laughs> I think you have sent me more messages in the last month than the rest of the maybe last 18 months. And so I oh, know that's that easily you need true. It. That's easily true. <laughs> so like I'm here, you know, like whatever you need to send me stuff, you send me stuff and we can joke about it or I can commiserate with you. I've been getting a lot of use out of two new emoji. One is the face melting one and one is the like dotted line grimacing one. They've been doing good for me right now. Yeah, you've been uh oh boy some of that nature yeah but see the thing is you validate that my opinions are not crazy right where it's it's like oh great i can i can show mike and the thing that i've tuned into is that when i point out stuff to locals always get some variation on oh that's unusual no it's not look everywhere right like it's everywhere what's unusual is you're noticing because i'm pointing it out but Mm -hmm. your brain is like photoshopping all of this away i've actually thought of like we sort of mentioned on the show before that i think selection effects are really quite powerful and one thing say a jungle environment selects for is 
lack of sensitivity to arthropods. Like Hawaii is selecting for that. And so here I am just showing up like, oh, this guy should never be on this island. And I'm looking around and seeing all the things and I point them out and it is maddening that people go, oh, that's unusual. It's like, okay, so we have we have now caught a double digit number of centipedes in the house and every one of them is remarked as being unusual. And I'm like, it isn't. It's not unusual at this point. So like, what do you think situation are people just ignoring them and not noticing them yeah i, I don't know i I, re- I really do think like people who live on hawaii again i am like hear, hear me listeners i'm the weirdo here right like i'm the exception everybody else on hawaii literally everyone else is having a great time like mm-hmm. i'm the only person who isn't mm-hmm. and I, like i just i just think that there's a lack of sensitivity right or people who've lived here their whole lives like they're just totally used to it and just don't really think about it whereas for me it's like i can't get used to it and that's the frustration we can come back to this but this is actually veering towards something that i've been wanting to talk about for the last couple of weeks oh yeah i feel like we need to once again address resort hawaii before we start to receive formal complaints from the hawaii tourism board because there have been so many people that have contacted us and said i'm never going to hawaii And I feel like something has been lost because I really need to impress upon people here. I have spent two of the best weeks of my life in Hawaii. You're going to go to Resort Hawaii. You're going to go where the hotels are, which is in all of these areas. Are you going to go where the vacation rental homes are, which are like by the beach? I had a couple of people who contacted me to give me a bit more good context for this because you were saying about, you know, in Resort Hawaii, people come around and they like sweep the spiders away, right? Which is Mm -hmm. like a nice way of putting it. But like I had someone say, like the, the Resort Hawaii is incredibly manicured. The mm-hmm. grass is cut really short on the lawns and the, like the areas, the trees are all cut down. Everything's perfectly planted. The manicuring and sculpting of these areas naturally removes a lot of the nature and the wildlife that you are mm-hmm. experiencing because these things grow in places where it's mostly untouched. Mm-hmm. So if you go to Hawaii and stay in any of the places you would stay in when you're on Hawaii, because that's where you would stay, because that's what it's made for, for the tourists, you're not mm-hmm. going to experience any of these horrors. Yeah, and again, like this is this is why I'm, I've on Twitter and for some people, I'm like, no, no, go to Hawaii. Like, you'll have yeah. a great time. I just saw so many people say, oh, I wanted to go. I'm never going to go now. And I just, I, I feel like we really, you know, we, we did a disservice to people <laughs> if that's what they took away. People should come. People should come because the entire economy depends on people coming. And it can be that way because everyone loves it. Yeah. People I spoke to there, it was like, this is what we do. We are a, our tourism. Our entire economy is based and tourism so i don't want to be considering how much i love hawaii i don't want to be responsible at all for any less people going there this is actually quite this is quite selfish from mike's perspective his main concern is he doesn't want to come back and discover that the resort has been shut down and there's just tumbleweeds blowing across the landscape well to be fair gray what it might mean is that the hotel rooms would be a little cheaper for me next time i want to go because that it is not either you know even when you like pass through the little towns it's like oh they all look very great but you're also seeing like the store fronts that are set up for tourists right on like mm-hmm. right on the road those are always very nicely kept and for some of them if you walk 
just slightly behind where those storefronts are, you can start bumping into a very different sort of world. But you never will when you're on vacation. And that's totally fine. That's the point of a vacation, right? It's supposed yeah. to be. It's supposed to be nice. And you just see stuff. And it's like it's set up for tourists. And it's great. So since our last episode, how has work stuff been for you? Have you had any changes? Are you remaining productive? Yeah. So when, when we spoke, I was fairly optimistic, I would say, with my... I will get 80% of the work done. That, that was my life. Oh, I'm, I'm, o- I'm only going to give up 20% of the work. I, and I'm only going to give up the 20 unimportant percent, right? And it'll just be 80% and blue skies and rainbows from, from here on out. I would say I'm probably hitting a lot closer to like 40% of the work. I think that's a reasonable estimate for how it's actually gone over the last six weeks, I guess. I mean, to be fair, I'm still going to count that as a major win because my assistant who was around the last time I was in Hawaii, her baseline was 0% of work occurred. And so she was extremely concerned about, you know, we're just going to lose two months. And I'm like, no, no, it's going to be fine. We're going to get 80% of the work done. And she was like, I'm sorry, the base rate of this is you will get 0% of the work done. So I am not going to plan for that. So I'm still going to take 40% as a big win. So I am reasonably happy about that. People have been mostly good. But the problem is that while people can be informed of schedules, cows and chickens and all sorts of other creatures cannot be informed of schedules. And They don't really care what time it is if there's something that they need. So, yeah, my life has been disrupted by animals very often uh, for the working times. So, yeah. I noticed there's a chicken in the mix now. Well, no. So, I can't even with this whole story. There's six chickens. There's not a chicken. Um, There's six chickens that we'll just say arrived in our lives and are here to stay. But, yes. So, while I set down these rules of, like... I will not be disturbed before 1 p.m. I'm not available before 1 p.m. And like, please don't tell me about a problem with the chickens. I need to be working. But here's the thing. What happens, Mike, when one of the chickens gets sick? Becomes a sicken. No, that is that is terrible. I, I absolutely refuse to allow that in the podcast. That is awful. <laughs> hey, it's late. What do you want from me? It's 10 p.m. Right it's now. early, Mike. It's 10 a.m. Like, what do you mean it's late? <laughs> We're only exactly as far as we can be. But yes, so one of the chickens got sick and a sick chicken making sad, cheeping noises is the most heartbreaking thing in the whole wide world. And so she needed to be separated from her litter mates and she needed medicine and basically 24-hour care around the clock. And so, yes, I ended up losing quite a lot of time because I ended up taking care of a sick chicken. And so that that's the kind of thing that can really blow a hole in your working day is trying to arrange, hey, chicken, I know you're sick and sad, but also I need to work. But like chicken don't care. Chicken don't mm-hmm. care at all. Like chicken's got other things to do. Mm-hmm. So yes, this has been one of the one of the interruptions in my life is taking care of a little chicken. I am happy to report that she has pulled through oh, that's and news. she's now been returned to her brood. And so all six chickens are now happy and back together and everything is fine. So it was it was a week of like, oh, poor chicken. We just 
we just need to make you comfortable in your final hours. Like, how can I say no to that? Only a monster would say no to that. It's like, no, we just must, we got to make the chicken comfortable. But yeah, so she's she's all fine now. Not conducive to I'm just going to get up and get straight to work. It's like, oh, no, my wife hands me a chicken after pulling the night shift with chicken medicine and she goes to sleep. And it's like, well, okay, buddy, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to put you in my hoodie and we're going to try to do work. And it's going to be at a very low productivity rate. This episode of Clawtax is brought to you by Wealthfront. Wealthfront builds simple, easy-to-use products to help people build long-term wealth. So many people regret not getting their investments in order earlier in life, and it's no wonder why. It can feel like you have to be a genius to navigate investing. Thankfully, Wealthfront is on hand to help. The secret to Wealthfront's performance is great software. It's built to make it easy and rewarding to build your long-term wealth. Wealthfront's automated trading optimizes your portfolio based on your own risk settings, which helps you reach your financial goals without lifting a finger. They also get you automatic tax breaks that can boost your returns even when the market dips. You can go with Wealthfront's expert-built portfolios, including a socially responsible option that's designed around sustainability, diversity, and equity, or you can build your own portfolio that you believe in with their curated selection of funds. Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth, and Investopedia just named them the best robo-advisor for 2022. To start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed free for life, go to Wealthfront.com slash Cortex. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash Cortex to start building your wealth. That's one last time, Wealthfront.com slash Cortex to get started today. Our thanks to Wealthfront for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. I 100% believe that there is a correlation between Sick Chicken and you breaking the top 1,000 in Magic the Gathering again. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, but yes, that did happen during the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, you noticed that overlap, that Uh Gray was not able to work as well as he could, and also Gray broke into the top 1,000 ranked Magic players. Those might be related. That might be a correlation. I don't know. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah. Ah, thanks. I know it's dumb, but I do feel ridiculously pleased with myself over that. Being in the top 1,000 in any popular thing is always good. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. How many hundreds of thousands of people play Magic the Gathering? Is there an, do you have like an idea? Yeah, so the, co- the company doesn't give an estimate for Arena, which is the online version. Their numbers are that there's something like 5 million players worldwide, mm-hmm. but that includes the paper version. Yeah. I've tried to ballpark it. I'm going to say I think there's about a million players, and I would be surprised if the actual number is either 50% smaller or 50% bigger than that. That's kind of my rough estimate, mm. but I'm basing that on I use a like a tracking program to kind of automatically keep track of stats, and that gives reports about how many people are playing games using this tracking system. And the number of games taking place just for the obsessive weirdos like me who like it enough to pay extra for a program to run on your computer only to track your stats. The number of games they're tracking is like hundreds of thousands of games. So it is a big number of people because there can't be 1% of players are using like an add-on system in the way I am. I just think it's got to be a basically 0% of players are doing that. So it is a big number. It sounds ridiculous, but I was thinking about it. I was like, I think this might actually be in absolute numbers 
the thing that I've been the best at in my whole life? No, that can't be true. No, there must have been a time where you were in the top 800 YouTube channels. I'm not confident about that. I I also like all the way back in the day. Come on. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Here's my thought is like, I'm also saying absolute terms as in like top 1000. I'm not saying percentage terms because especially now it's like, I don't know, 50% of people worldwide like want to do YouTube and have YouTube. Like the number is just enormous. So percentage wise, the thing that I actually earned my living at, it's like, oh yes, I've been a very small percentage number of that. But in terms of absolute terms, I I don't know. Maybe I I was in the top 800 at the very beginning, but I'm just, I'm just not confident about that. I feel like even when I started, YouTube was still already quite big. Mm -hmm. And I remember having what I thought were ridiculous conversations with people at some of the very first conferences I ever went to, where this is like 10 years ago, people were already saying, oh, it's it's too late for people to get started on YouTube. Like the people who are big now have such a head start. I, I always thought that was just the world's worst advice and thinking about it. It's like, no, that's not how any of these things work. Like there's this thing is totally going to get bigger. Yeah, but what about this show? What about the show? A thousand podcasts. Right? Because Mm. I don't know. I mean, I know that there are more podcasts in the world created than I could ever imagine. But podcasts with listenerships of our size, there aren't that many. And if the fact that we are successful and successful with advertisers and successful with advertisers that advertise on the most popular podcasts. So, you know, advertise for every episode. Squarespace is, I think, advertises basically every episode Mm. of the show. I can't imagine, I'd have to ask Mm. them, but I can't imagine Squarespace advertise on (laughs) 1,000 podcasts, right? No, yeah, okay, yeah, I see I see what you're saying, but also, okay, I mean, it does seem like Squarespace advertises on every podcast that exists, Mm -hmm. but that's also that's also a selection effect of I think I'm the sort of person who listens to the sort of podcast that Squarespace is way more likely to advertise on. Of course. Right. But but so so Squarespace isn't advertising on a thousand sh- like they're not going down the list mm-hmm. of like one, two, three, four, five, and then they get to Cortex and they still have money left. They're picking some subset of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think the fact that Squarespace advertises on the show is an indicator that the show is in the top 1,000. I don't mean there's them specifically, but like a thousand is a very large number. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I mean, maybe we're like... 1700th most popular podcast in the world i don't know mm-hmm. but like i just a thousand a thousand shows where the hosts can make a living mm-hmm. on their shows i don't know i just don't know if the market is big enough yeah it's funny you mentioned that because i think i'm i'm in my head now having to try to scale like what is the actual size of different worlds i wonder which is true do more people make a living at podcasts or do more people make a living at youtube channels it's got to be youtube it's got to be youtube i i feel like it has to be youtube but i'm suddenly unsure just law of large number stuff Hmm. like there's more there's just more youtubers than there are podcasters is that true i want I, i wonder if that's true i don't i'm not i'm not super confident like i think it is i think if i had to take an even money bet i would say that there's more people who are trying to do YouTube than trying to do podcasts. 
but I'm I'm I don't know I'm, I'm I feel very I feel like ve- I've wandered into the 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 jungle of like no data. Teenagers aren't trying to be podcasters. Why, Mike? It's so cool. Like, isn't everything about being a podcaster really cool? What's cool about being a vlogger? Nothing, <laughs> right? What's cool about being a podcaster? Everything. You get to talk about microphones. Uh-huh. You get to have all your aux cables. One of the biggest advantages, no one sees you. That's what people want, right, is to not be seen. So, like, that's a huge advantage for podcasts. It's got, it's got to be true that there's more podcasters. <laughs> Man, I'm, I can't stop running that number in my brain now uh, a thousand i don't know anymore right. i don't know if i've if i've said something that's wrong here no, no but like but so this this is actually quite a good thing with like the way humans think about stuff a thousand is one of those numbers where if like it just crosses the human ability to conceptualize in a real way i feel like numbers that are still in the hundreds you can think about in terms of objects and actual things like how many people you can imagine 200 people in a room but i think once you cross the 1000 mark it starts becoming hard to really think about what that number means like this is just our limited monkey minds so so that's why I'm, i'm feeling extremely uncertain now about how do podcasts and YouTube channels rank? I just, I just don't know. What we've actually stumbled in here is the like the whole power law question about how everything works in media. Is it's all just related to a power law for audience sizes that you keep multiplying by ten percent every time you want to go down like an order of magnitude in audience size for how many people are at this scale, mm. right? So it's like oh. How many podcasts get tens of millions of listeners? I don't know, like 10. How many podcasts get millions of listeners? Probably hundreds. How many podcasts get hundreds of thousands of listeners? Thousands? Is that, a, is that about right? That would be like a power law distribution. And then, you know, uh, what? Ten, tens of thousands is tens of thousands as well? I don't know. I lost track of it in my head. I'm desperately Googling. I'm trying to get some kind of indications to the numbers, but I don't think I'm going to get yeah, it. Yeah, see, th- this is also the thing for listeners, which may not be obvious, is that the podcast industry is shrouded in mystery. Yeah. Uh, like, no one ever re- ever talks about the numbers since it's not centralized like something with YouTube. You have no idea how anybody else is doing. I think there's also a lot of like shenanigans with listeners being conflated with just downloads that are happening. Well, that's because that's just a thing you can't. It's really hard to know. Yeah, there's just so much going on. Whereas with uh, something like YouTube, it's it's better. YouTube actually does a very good job of not inflating the view numbers. Like I think YouTube is just about the only platform where you can quite trust those view numbers. Is like oh, an actual person watch this for some amount of time and like they're they, i think they're quite good about that but it's the some amount of time thing too though right what do you mean well it's like do people ever consider that like if you had like a 10 minute youtube video but 50 percent of the people stop watching it in the first two minutes and it counted mm-hmm. as a view, you know what i mean yeah but but like i i think youtube does a good job of that precisely because in the back end they're they're really focused on what is the retention rate and so like they start counting things as views uh, fairly soon into watching the video. But then if that person bails, it counts against your retention rate. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think you can see because like, oh, retention rates are actually 
I think quite reasonable, at least in my experience, for videos of decent length. It's like, yeah, no, this view number means something. Like, I'm not expecting 100% of the people make it to the end. But I, th I think like, oh, when you see a video has X number of views, I'm basically, I'm basically, I'm comparing this to other platforms like Facebook in particular and all sorts of other things of like, no, 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 their view numbers are just like garbage and you cannot trust them. But the podcast world, just because the way it works, download numbers and how many listeners there are, it's just intrinsically more difficult to get a good answer to what that is. I can give you something here, right? Just to try and help put it in perspective. Uh -huh. So This American Life, Okay. it seems like looking at we a company called PodTrack, who have statistics that I will trust, they estimate or publish that they have about three and a half million listeners. That is their okay. U.S. unique monthly audience. Hmm. And they are the ninth most popular podcast in their charts. So number nine has three and a half million downloads. But when you say in their charts, they're the ninth most popular that this company tracks? But PodTrack have most of the large shows. So all of NPR, all of Wondery, all of Disney, all of BBC, Barstool, Fox, CNN. Hmm. They have all of these numbers. Okay. So huh. if number nine is three and a half million, what would number 1,000 be? You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. Okay, so we just need to go around and ask, ask everyone the top one top one thousand podcasts yeah. to see where their listenerships are, so we can create a rank. And they'll say, "Why are you doing this?" And the answer will be, "Oh, we want to compare this to CGP Gray's rank in Magic: The Gathering. <laughs> That's why we're going on this data exposition." <laughs> I don't think we should record the show at these times anymore. <laughs> Mike, what's wrong with this 12-hour time difference? Nothing. <laughs> I've forgotten why we were even talking about this. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm casting Slip Out the Back, and we can move on. Let's try and get this episode back onto some kind of course here. If anybody does know the answer to this thing, by the way, I would love to know. You can reach out to me. I can keep it secret if you need it. I just really want to know now. <laughs> I feel pretty confident in it, but it's also one of those things that now I've said it, I'm like, am I going to regret having said that? I don't know. I, c I can know? also feel like this is one of those things that's just going to, it's just going to like, it's wormed its way into your brain and you're going to oh, be, be thinking about, about it all the time now. now. Yeah. So if you happen to be a person who has secret podcast stats, please get in touch with Mike and relieve him of his constant thinking about this, which is inevitably going to happen. Mike wants to know. Mike wants to know. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. As a small business owner, you might feel like you're juggling 100 balls in the air at any one time, and you don't have time to interview candidates who aren't qualified for your role. You're too busy. LinkedIn Jobs make it easier for you to find the people that you want to interview faster and for free. I know that we're at a place here at Relay FM where we're thinking about increasing the amount of people that we have on our team and we're looking for someone to handle some new tasks for us. This can be a really daunting thing. Where do you start? How do you find those people? Like, what are you going to do to try and find the people that qualify for your role? This is where LinkedIn Jobs can help because they have this huge network of people that they get your role out to and you can really easily, with their fantastic tools, look through the people that are qualifying and people that are applying and find the right person. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to 
reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so that your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you could quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash cortex. That's linkedin.com slash cortex to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for the support of this show and all of Relay FM. So you posted your first YouTube short. Ah, uh, yes, a thing I actually have data on. Yes, I posted a YouTube short. I want to know about this, and I hope that you have some stuff you can share because everyone's doing this now. I mean, and really on YouTube, all I'm seeing is people reusing their TikToks, right? Or like it's content that's mm. being created for multiple avenues right so like Mm. i'm seeing a lot of like content creators now they are creating short vertical video that they are posting on tiktok and youtube and or instagram and possibly twitter as well right like this is definitely a thing that i am coming into contact more with now than i have been before okay of like the content creators that i follow i'm seeing Mm -hmm. more of them post this stuff like you know tech and gaming focused youtube channels i'm seeing them either post youtube shorts or i'm seeing them post them on their twitter or instagram accounts okay so since i'm in research mode i feel like with regard to shorts what do you think of this like not as a content creator mm, as a consumer as a as a content consumer right like <laughs> as a content muncher um, oh, i didn't like that when i said it but so I said it much now. Uh-huh. <laughs> as you munch your way through content <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, how I'm, do I'm, you I'm, like I'm, it <laughs> i'm like the cookie monster but for video <laughs> that's what consumers are right and it goes everywhere not, he eats none of the cookies i should preface this by saying i am not a tiktok user okay because i think that not i think it's obvious that that is where this drive has come from Mm -hmm. tiktok created this new format this new system of this algorithmically generated content right and Mm -hmm. now instagram wants a piece of it and youtube want a piece of it so the only place i ever see this content is on the social media platforms that i'm already a part of and for me it's very much additional right So, like, Mm -hmm. when I'm on YouTube, I'm not looking for shorts. Right. When I'm on Twitter, I'm not looking for quick video. And when I'm on Instagram, I'm not looking for reels. So, for me, I see this content mixed in with the stuff that I'm already looking at or looking for. So, for me as a consumer, there has to be something about it that grabs me enough to take me out of what I was doing Mm -hmm. to watch that video which is very different to somebody who is using TikTok or using Instagram Reels and just like watching the videos just fly by on their own, right? Right, right. So I'm not an average consumer. But what I will say is the people whose content I enjoy that do this, I like it. Mm -hmm. So for me, one of the channels that I see do this the best is Kind of Funny. Okay. Kind of Funny is a selection of gaming culture podcasts 
which I've gotten into in a big way in the last few months. Like I watch basically all of their shows, but like they are podcasts, but they have video versions and I watch them mostly. Mm-hmm. So I'm very used to engaging with them through video hmm. and they publish lots of content. And so what they, what they do, which I really like, they pick out funny things that have happened either recently or in their past and they just make a short out of those. Mm-hmm. And they also make shorts out of game reviews. Right. Right. So they'll do like a 30 second video game review which hmm. I watch that before I watch their longer review on one of their podcasts or whatever, right? Hmm. Like, you know, this is like the snackable version of this content that you're about to go and get. It's like a trailer, really, for the longer conversation. Oh, so, yeah, you're using it like a trailer. Okay. Yeah, or a best of kind of thing. And, and that content's working for me, but I really only think it's working for me because I'm already so engaged with them that mm-hmm. at the moment I'll watch anything that the kind of funny crew make, right? Like, I'll just watch all of it, so... I will watch the shorts the same as I'll watch their two-hour breakdowns of a movie trailer or whatever, you know? Like, I'm just in on that content. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, I don't as I, said, I don't consider myself an average consumer because the shorts that I'm watching or the short-form videos that I'm watching are for content creators that I'm already really engaged with, which is not mm. what TikTok's about, Right. TikTok is like, you don't even know these people most of the time. Like, and you don't mm-hmm. need to. And that's the their whole thing. It's just like, our algorithm's so good, we're just going to keep serving you this stuff. I'm assuming you're not a TikTok person either. I have never installed the app. But for me, I don't have a problem with it. I just don't need it. Mm-hmm. I don't need another thing personally to suck time away. And... Mm-hmm. I already can't keep up with the social networks that I already like or the content that I already like. Between YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter, there's and podcasts, there's already I am already behind on everything. I don't <laughs> need to add another one in, right? That's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. And I'm very much, you know, we spoke about this on the show, and I think there are a lot of our listeners are the same. I'm very much the kind of person where I don't personally want an algorithm trying to tell me what content creators to consume. (laughs) I've already made those decisions, however I've made them, and I want to watch content from people I already know I like. Like, I'm I'm not so much of a, hey, algorithm, who do you think I'm going to be into today? So I I like that, for me, actually, I like the way that YouTube's given me this content maybe the most out of all of them, or maybe Twitter, maybe, because it's people just posting videos like their tweets. And I also, Mm -hmm. by the way, I like shorts. I think that's the best brand name. I like it better to Reels. I like it better to TikToks. Like, I think shorts, I actually really like that because I think it does a very good job of explaining what the content is. They're short videos. Mm. Like, I actually, Mm. I think for once... YouTube has landed on the best branding for me. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but you're right. Yeah, they do have the best name for it, for sure. Do you ever see any of this content? Yeah, so this has been on my mind for a long time, is trying something with a YouTube short. And I can say, just from you know anecdotal experience, every YouTuber I've spoken to who hasn't done a short, it's the same thing. It's on everybody's mind about, is this something that, we should do for like for youtubers i assume the problem there is you don't have to say anything one way or another there is there is either youtube will ask you to do it incentivize you to do it or you think youtube wants it so you have to 
Yeah, exactly. So YouTube hasn't tried to incentivize me to do it. I know they are incentivizing some people, though. Yes, but they are definitely incentivizing some people. The same as how they're incentivizing podcasters. We we haven't spoken about this, but since we spoke about this, I don't know, a couple of months ago. Oh, right. Yeah, that's then right. Apparently, YouTube is giving money to uh, people to, to make video versions of their podcasts. This is like apparently yeah. a thing. I'll put some links in the show notes. But this is something YouTube does, right? It's like, we have this medium. We want you to come and be a part of it. We'll give you money. Spotify's doing it for podcasts too, right? Big platforms do it. Mm-hmm. They, they give people money in, in, in the hope that they'll come and produce content in the place that they want to produce it. And I'm, I'm sure, and I, I think I've seen reference to this, that there is like a YouTube shorts fund. That I know Instagram has one for reels. You can get yeah. bonus payments for publishing this content. Yeah, so it's it's important to this conversation that I'm not a part of any of that. Like, yeah. I just decided to do this thing. YouTube didn't ask me to do it. I'm not getting any extra money from YouTube for doing it. Mm-hmm. I just thought, okay. A thing came along with our place like this. Apparently now every other year, maybe, or every four years. I don't remember the last time they did it, like, little event. Oh, did they say they were bringing it back? Because I know they brought it back for April Fool's, right? But, like, I didn't know if they were, like, they're bringing it back on a schedule now. There is no way that they're not bringing it back again, like, Because it was so popular. It seems so much more popular this time than last time. It was way more popular this time because people knew what the deal was. For anyone listening who doesn't know, basically Reddit had a kind of collaborative canvas that everybody could paint using pixels one at a time. So, like, every 10 minutes you could put down a little pixel. Technologically, this time, it was so much better than the time before. Yeah. I think it's great. It's honestly the sort of thing that lifts my heart about what the internet should be. Yeah. It just feels like this is what I thought the whole internet was going to be like. It's like, oh, pixel rainbows and also fun shenanigans. It's like, oh, it didn't turn out that way. But our place is like the best of what the internet can be. A fun way for like millions of people to collaborate on a thing that just wouldn't be possible in the real world. Like it was just great. But it's just a big collaborative art project. Mm -hmm. And so that came along and it was delightful. And I happened to have this little fact about the Albert Memorial in London having messed up the reconstruction. And long story short, I'd been kind of angling for a long time to try to do something about the Albert Memorial. But as we have discussed on previous shows, sometimes institutions are really uninterested in working with you if you are not a gigantic corporation. And if you're like, but a humble YouTuber, they have a whole bunch of GTFO for you if you come along with like, hey, I have an interesting project. So I kind of had a a fact that I was like, this is never going to go anywhere like i think this video about the Albert memorial is never going to happen but this is one like fun fact from that thing and so i don't know it just popped into my head one morning i thought oh everybody's griefing on the canadian flag and messing it up on our place and it just sort of made me think about this pixel art in the Albert memorial i was out for my morning walk with the cows who were following me around and this popped into my head and i thought okay i'm gonna spend my work morning working on this and like whatever I have at the end it's just done I'm not going to spend any more time on it I'm just going to upload it and we'll see how it does mainly because I wanted to start getting some data about how do shorts do on my channel because I know again from talking to other youtubers that my channel has a lot of um it's a bit of an outlier in a way that a lot of the statistics work 
And so I just knew I couldn't really depend on anybody else's data about how shorts have worked for them. I needed to do something for myself and just see because my channel always ends up just being a bit weird when I compare the numbers to other people. So yeah, I put it up. I had just no expectations of how would this do. I just I didn't really have any thoughts. I'm just like, I'm just going to collect some data and see. And at the time of recording, it's at about 1.7 million views right now, which I'm very happy with because that means like, oh, I have actual reliable data about yeah. this short. Like I can try to make some decisions about it. And that would be... You know, correct me if I'm wrong. If you made a video, a typical Grey video, even like a Grey Explains video, and you got those numbers, you'd be like, I'm happy with that. Oh, right? yeah, you'd, yeah. You'd come away and be like, yep, that was worth my time, right? So oh, th- for this sure. Yeah. why I was keen to know kind of more about the kind of, as you say, the, the stats and the deets of this, because <laughs> this is yeah. obviously vastly different in a production process. And I'm I'm really keen to know if you think that like having now achieved those numbers, what does that actually mean on the other side? Yeah, and for um, just for a frame of reference for the listener, roughly my median video on the channel is about two million views. Yeah. So this this lands at like very solidly in the middle because it's going to get there, right? Like yeah, it's only two weeks old. Yeah, I think it's going to hit two million views. So this this makes it very very solidly like right in the middle of the pack for a video, which is actually perfect for making a decision for, about statistics. And I guess the summary that I can give is my experience with shorts is terrible. Ah. It is unbelievably bad. And so now, if you are not in the business, you're hearing me say a thing like, I spent a morning making a video. It's done about 2 million views. And that was awful. Like, it sounds crazy. But so let, let me just talk through why is this just abysmal when you make a video there's a bunch of things that matter there's the obvious stuff that matters like how much money did the video make and i'm in the position now where it's like is this is not just a question about paying myself i have to make decisions about paying all the people i work with and so how much money does the video make versus how much time did i spend on it is very different now from how it was when i was starting Mm -hmm. so Revenue can't be a like trivial consideration. So it's kind of at the top of the pile. Was this, did this financially make sense or would I go bankrupt if I kept doing this? There's other things that you care about. So one of the things that you can care about is how many new people saw this video versus how many of people in my existing audience saw this, which is slightly different from another thing that you can care about, which is how many subscribers did you get? So YouTube, they do a pretty good job of trying to track viewers who are basically like non-subscriber subscribers. So people who watch all of your stuff, but just haven't subscribed. So you can kind of get a, a metric of roughly how many people who haven't seen one of my videos in like the last year watched this video. So it's new people. One of the other things I care about is engagement. Like how many people who watched this video, watched another one of my videos. So they watched this thing and they thought, ooh, interesting, I want to see more from this guy. Let me see another one of his things. And as listeners to the show will know, 
I love spreadsheets and I put all of this stuff into a spreadsheet to try to give me an overall view of like, how well does this video do against a bunch of metrics that I care about? Let me try to combine everything together and think about it and make comparisons. And the bottom line comparison is that for me to be happy with the way this video is performing, it would have to do somewhere between 10 to 20 times as many views as it has done to be worthwhile, which is to say every metric I care about is like 1 20th what I would want to see in terms of a video. And so it's just abysmal looking at the stats, like across the board for everything. The revenue is, even though I only spent but a morning working on this, it's like, oh, if I just made shorts, I would go out of business, right? Like paying all my expenses and doing all of that kind of stuff. It's like, no, I literally couldn't make a living doing shorts. So then you can ask questions like, oh, but is it worthwhile because you're reaching a new audience? No. Like, as far as I can tell, maybe 90% of the views have come from people who have watched my other videos. And maybe 10% of the people who saw this were actually new people. And then it's like, what are the subscriber numbers? They're like 130th what I would expect from a video. They're just brutally bad. And the absolute worst one is... Has someone who watched this video, have they gone on to watch another video? I think that number, it's a little bit hard to estimate, but that may be a literal like four digit number, right? So like this video got 2 million views and maybe a thousand times someone watched another one of my videos after this. Like it's just savage. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> I don't know if I would have assumed differently, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. If yeah. you would have said to me, hey, I'm going to do this short video, what do you? how well do you think this is going to turn out for me? I think my assumption would have been like, you'll get a bunch of views on it, but it's not going to make you any money because there are less ads on it, I'm sure, if there are any. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure the ads are cheaper anyway. So the CPMs would mm. be lower. So any cut you would get is already tiny. And on YouTube, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's being served to people. Honestly, maybe like you ended up in the best place situation because you were doing it about r slash place. Because yeah. people may have seen that in their recommendations and they were like, what is that thing? I've been seeing people talk about it. Mm -hmm. Like you may have actually ended up doing best case scenario for you for a short, which I think makes this even worse. I think that's very possible. I think it's very possible this is best case scenario for a short, yeah. And I think that if this is the situation you're seeing, I don't really know why people are doing it. I think by and large, my expectation is, so I'm talking about like the content creators I'm seeing, right? So mm -hmm. tech and gaming and culture YouTubers, right? Why are they publishing this stuff? My expectation mm -hmm. is they're making it for TikTok, and because they've made it for TikTok, they're also just going to put it on YouTube anyway. Because if it get any benefit, like it's not even made for this platform, so anything else is just sprinkles, right, on top. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're seeing everywhere, right? Like if you're seeing this content anywhere, it's because it started on TikTok. 
Mm. I bet if you put this on TikTok, you would have got 100 million views, but you would have made even less money probably. But for some people, I mean, understandably, the most important thing is views at the start. Mm-hmm. The money is not important. It's about trying to build an audience. And some people have successfully built audiences on TikTok. I think it's harder to build audiences on TikTok because you don't have a feed as such of like, these are the people I've chosen to see. I think you you can follow people and I think that increases your likelihood of seeing their content, but it's not the same, right? Mm-hmm. And you see a lot, like the most popular TikTokers, they are trying eventually to shovel you off somewhere else. They want you to subscribe to their YouTube channel or their podcast or whatever, right? Because yeah. they know TikTok is not the place for them long-term. I mean, but this happens everywhere. You know, then at a certain point, YouTubers want to get television shows, right? Because they know that YouTube's not the thing for them long-term, right? Like you see this a lot. Like people, they move you from place to place, right? Like, hey, check out this other thing that I'm doing. We do it. I do it, right? Like, hey, I'm doing this other thing. Come check this out. There are very natural career progressions yeah and it's, it's one of the reasons why like i wanted to start this off by emphasizing i'm in a different position now for making content and i have to think about things differently mm. so if you are at the start of your content creation career views is the only thing you care about because you're not making any money off of it yeah. anyway yeah. but when you fast forward and you are running a business and there's people whose livelihood depends on that business then the views question changes because it's like yeah views are great but it matters that they translate into things that actually matter. Mm-hmm. And that's where I did not expect to make a bunch of money off of a short. Like, I just, I just, that was never in my dreams. I mean, the fact that I made less than minimum wage was quite surprising to me. Like, I didn't expect it to be that bad. Yeah. Like, I wasn't looking at this as a, as a moneymaker. But what I wanted to see primarily was okay, views for me matter if they're translating as new audience. Then, like, that's a thing that really matters is bringing more people into the extended CGP Grey universe. And so, like, ooh, do shorts accomplish that as a goal? And my experience so far has been no. Like, even that thing which... I would say YouTube and many YouTubers, the way they talk about it, that's sort of the dangled promise is, oh, shorts will gain you new audience. Look at these huge view numbers. They'll translate into new viewers. And my initial foray into this has said, no, like that does not hold true. And so that is the part that I am a little bit more surprised at. I expected that like at a bare minimum, it would be something like 50% new viewers and 50% existing viewers, but it's just not close. And then that that really calls into question, like, man, I don't, I don't know about this. There is an asterisk here, which is just that I am going to do some more shorts because I do think that there's like a, a self-feeding nature to this. So the, the only question that I have left is, does it matter if you have three shorts or if you have four shorts because from having browsed around on YouTube and using the actual short system it's like boy one thing I have learned is if you watch a short from one person YouTube will go way out of their way to show you every single short that that person has ever made yeah I mean they do that with, with anything like if you watch a video from someone on their recommended page or at least I find this 
on the oh, rare yeah. occasion that I do it on the homepage, well, then I'm going to get a string of everything that is people, these people have ever made for as long as possible, you know? Yeah, I just think the way that it works on the phone, the way you browse through, it's just a much more, yeah. it's way more aggressive, yes. right? They're not they're not yeah. presenting you with options. They're just literally showing you like every single mm-hmm. thing that the person has made. So that's the question. I was like, maybe there is a way in which one short is not great, but there's a kind of, the, the reverse of a power law distribution, there's an exponential effect that having two shorts is four times better than having two and three is nine times better than having two. So that's the only thing that I do kind of want to see before I can make a final judgment on this. But my initial foray is like, oof, this may literally be the worst video I have ever made across every metric I could ever care about, even after you divide by the amount of time I spent on it. It's just brutal. All right. So if one of the things is increased new people that you're looking for... Mm-hmm. Would you consider then publishing them on TikTok? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I think part of the problem there for me is like that's just a platform that I have no experience with. But it, it doesn't really matter. You're making the content that that system wants. I mean, I may just if I make more shorts, I may just put them on TikTok. Yeah, that's what I mean. But again, I think the the issue is my experience from talking to people and just from seeing a little bit of this world is. The thing that you're saying, like, oh, people on TikTok try to push you to YouTube, doesn't seem to be very successful, except in quite unusual cases. Oh, I have no doubt that it's really unsuccessful. But yeah. my, my point more is just like, if you're doing it anyway, yeah, why not try? Because you could end up being one of those people where it's weirdly successful for them in some strange way. But to me, it's just more like if you're putting the effort in, you may as well just just do it. Like make them for YouTube, mm-hmm. but then just put them on TikTok too. Just because you could at least then compare. Yeah, yeah. I, I might as, I might as well do that. You might as well just see what happens, right? Because the content's exactly the same. Like there's you don't really need to to work like to to do anything different for either of them. And then you mm-hmm. could just publish it there and just see what happens. Yeah. Okay. I'll do that. I'll just, I'll just throw it up on TikTok and just see what happens. I guess the the reason why I'm just so meh about that is is again this this issue of I care about views that connect to something real, and yeah. I just I just see that as like man I could I could easily imagine even in the most dream case on TikTok of like oh this gets a hundred million views it still doesn't translate to anything real. And I'm not at the stage of my career where that, like, that part of it, the, the view number is the thing that is paramount. But then it's like, why even tweet links to videos? You know what I mean? <sighs> yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're not wrong there. You know, we all do it, right? But, like, how many people are like, oh, man, I never even known about this, you know? I would just be keen to see if, like, if you just made a TikTok account and published a video, what would happen? Like, would you get 100 views or would you get 100 million? Like... I think it would just be intriguing. And because you've already made the content anyway, you might as well just try it. And then if you ended up getting like, say, 50 million views on a TikTok video, then there's questions, right? That I don't know if you can find the answers to them, but like, why? Why is it more popular on TikTok when these people don't even necessarily know who I am because they have no relationship to me? Because this is kind of stuff that I've seen like, I think it was MKBHD was was talking about this at one point, like when they set up a TikTok account. 
and he published like something about like a an LG phone that wasn't even new at the time. He got like seventy million views on it. <laughs> he was like, "This is my right. most watched piece of content ever." Mm-hmm. And he does, and it's like, why did this even happen? Right. Well, I do have serious doubts about TikTok's view numbers, but if it pleases you to know, I have sent a message saying. Please post my short up on TikTok and please don't involve me in this as much as possible. Just make it happen. <laughs> I just think it would be a fascinating little thing to just do some comparisons on after yeah. you've done maybe a couple more of them. And I also do like I was going to suggest don't just do it as a one and done like because mm-hmm. you, you don't know. Right. You, you don't know what it could end up being like. And, it, and, you know, maybe the next one you make truckloads of money from. You won't, but you never know, right? Or yeah. it might be like, as you say, that second one or that third one, that's when you start to see positive changes towards the lead on to further videos, right? Yeah. And the weird thing about shorts and all of this content that I do think captures everybody's mind who is in this business is... So when I say something like, man, this video would need to do numbers that were 20 times bigger in order for it to make sense, that's possible. That's the thing. That's right? that's yes, the thing that. that's unbelievable is, right? So if there's no universe in which I would go like, oh, if I spent a morning just working on a video and I published it as a regular YouTube video, could I, could I get 30 million views on that? No, no, you're not going to get 30 million views. Like, that's never going to happen. But having just scrolled around on the shorts viewer it's like man the number of videos i see that have 50 million views on youtube yeah on youtube like who's there's watching huge them? ones on there i don't know i have no idea but like there are gigantic numbers even on the shorts channel like i get it on tiktok and i even mm-hmm. get it on instagram but like who's spending time on youtube shorts like so intriguing to me yeah so so here's the thing where i will give credit to youtube so when i publish the video from the back end everything is the same there's no special button to tick that says like oh this is a youtube short youtube is just automatically inferring it's under a minute and it's vertical it's a short they've just done that automatically even if you don't label things as shorts which I don't know if you labeled our our one short on the Cortex channel as a short. I thought you did it. I didn't do it. And if you didn't do it, that means YouTube picked up that mm-hmm. one video where I scare you in VR on mm-hmm. Cortex. Like it just retroactively declared that's a short. The reason that I came across this is recently I was like, that used to be our most viewed video. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, oh, how many views did that get? And I didn't see it. And I was like, oh, where's it gone? It's like, oh, because in the YouTube studio, it's now in the shorts tab, not the videos tab. My assistant has replied back with OMG to my request to put a video up on <laughs> TikTok. And I told her, it's for Cortex. That's why we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the, here's the thing. I, this is where we can find out. Is it because she is a TikTok viewer herself and is now like, I can't believe what's happening here? Or she just genuinely just surprised? You know what I mean? It's like, what? I'm wondering from her perspective, why is this a surprise? You know? It's a mystery. We'll find out later. Mm-hmm. So, the reason I'm mentioning about, oh, you just publish it as a regular video, there's no special button to push, is YouTube has said that when you publish a video that they identify as a short, they are doing their best to not notify your subscribers. If those subscribers have not already watched shorts and if they don't regularly watch short content. So YouTube is doing something to identify the subset of their whole audience that wants to watch shorts. And while I have been extraordinarily vocal complaining about YouTube not notifying subscribers, 
I think this is 100% the right decision. I would have been so much more hesitant publishing this if it was going to be sent as a normal notification to everyone, like, hey, CGP Grey has uploaded a video. It's like, no, no, no. They're just trying to shovel this to people who do like Mm. shorts. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's correct. Like, I am glad that they have done that because... Part of the reason why I ask you about what's your experience with these things is I don't watch a lot of TV, but I watch a lot of YouTube and I feel really annoyed when I click on a video and, oh, it's a short. It's not an actual video. I'm quite frustrated by that experience as a YouTube viewer, but because I I was watching shorts to like figure them out, YouTube thinks I'm like a shorts viewer now. And so now they're just like showing up in the recommendations for video. Yeah, big shorts fan. I don't even wear shorts in Hawaii. I'm not a big shorts fan at all. Oh boy. (laughs) But like, so I don't like them from like all of my subscribers. I would greatly prefer not to be notified and shown the short one of the things that does bother me about youtube shorts is they are entirely the energy of the beginning of a youtube video Mm, yeah and i don't always want that you know like sustained for a 20 minute period of me watching (laughs) right one after another after another welcome to that smash the light that's that's what they're like you know because they are (laughs) their entire thing is they need to catch you and grab you and keep you which is i actually think is different to youtube videos right like, you get those first few seconds when you might catch someone and they're going to mm-hmm. leave, but you let that calm down most of the time. Not always, but a lot of YouTubers are like, you get that immediate bump and then it calms down into the rest of the video. But yeah. most of the shorts content that I've seen is like, it is that energy for the entire length of the short, however long it is. Right, which is a bit exhausting after 20 minutes. I find it. Yeah. Anyway. One of the other things for me about shorts, which is tricky is whenever you talk about spreadsheets right and you, you you use spreadsheets to help you make decisions but the spreadsheet is not your boss and there are things that the spreadsheet cannot capture and there's one thing that i really feel like is actually the way in which the short may perform worse than everything i have previously mentioned that a spreadsheet can't capture but i think is really important And that thing is how many really engaged fans does this video create? And so one of the things we have talked about many times is at large scales, when you post a video, it's going to be guaranteed that it is many people's favorite video you have ever made. And it's very many people's final straw where they unsubscribe and they're like, I can't deal with this, right? You, You get both ends of that. And people who unsubscribe, like, that's fine. It's, it's That's no problem. Like, preferences change or you subscribe to a thing and you realize, oh, I don't actually like this as much as I thought that I would. Whatever. What matters is people who are really engaged. And I think one of the reasons why, for a lot of analytics, my channel is a real outlier on YouTube is that... I think I create more people who are super engaged with my videos than an average YouTube channel. You know, again, this is the kind of content that 
I like. I like stuff that I am super engaged in, and I don't like middle of the road. So it's like, why did I put off getting back into magic? Because I knew I was going to be incredibly engaged when I got back in. It's like YouTube channels that I watch. I'm really engaged with those things, and I want to create that kind of stuff for people too. Mm-hmm. Videos where when they watch them multiple times, it's like, oh, I got more out of this the second time than the first time. But I think the shorts format, it's fundamentally opposed to the ability to even create that sort of thing. I think with less than a minute, you simply cannot create an engaged audience. I think you can create stuff that's like fun to watch once. I think you can create stuff that's really funny in a minute. I think there's a lot of stuff that you can do in that constraint. But what you can't do is create fans who are really into something. I think it's it's just too small of a of a format. So the metric that can't go on a spreadsheet is how many people saw this and it's the favorite thing I've ever made that they saw. I think the answer to that question for this short is literally zero. There's no one who saw this and thought, "Wow, that's amazing." And that's a really important metric and I just think shorts Even if I continue to do them in the future, like let's say everything turns up sunshine and and roses and it's like, oh, I am bringing in new audience members and all of the shorts are feeding into each other. So the view numbers make sense for them to do blah, blah, blah. Like let's say all of that works. I still think no one will ever become really engaged because of the shorts. The shorts whole purpose is to funnel them over into the actual main thing. That's the way in which I think the shorts actually perform the worst. This is no one's favorite video I have ever made. It's just not going to happen with the nature of the format. Uh-huh. You know you wish you could never going to have said that. Someone's going to be in the Reddit and going to be like, Gray, this is my favorite video you ever made. Yeah, sure. But I know what you mean. I know what yeah. you mean. There can always be some particular exception. Mm-hmm. In a weird way, my wife is a particular exception because she loves that thing where I point out that the towels aren't real. It's her favorite video I've ever made. Is which that basically not a short? Is a short. Yeah, it's a short. Surely on, it has been classed as a short on the channel. <laughs> it's not filmed vertically. I should just recrop ah. it and upload it to the main channel. That's what I yeah. should do. Yeah, you should. Uh, actually, maybe I should do that. I That's not a terrible that. idea. Yeah, I think you should do that. <laughs> I, I feel like you're right. Mm-hmm. I think the asterisk I would maybe make is like it probably takes time like a frequent uploading getting into the system and then you have the ability as a short video creator to break through to someone and be like I like this person mm-hmm. but I would hazard to say it is harder than YouTube it is harder than long form content. I would expect it is easier with longer form content to develop that bond. And it's also genre really matters here. Yeah. Like pure comedy can do a lot better in the shorts format than anything that is even vaguely trying to explain something. Yeah. Comedy and dancing, that's what the short form video is best at. Hmm. And that's what all the popular TikToks are. The, the right. comedy and its dances. That's that's what I'll do for my next short comedy dance. Great. Uh, if you made the stick figure character do a TikTok dance, I swear to you, it would be the most popular thing you've ever made. 
this is again you put you put me in again like this no win situation of if i do it i will be so depressed i can't possibly tell you if it if it's successful and if i do it and it's not successful i'll also feel bad it's like there's no winning there so no i tell you it would be amazing man it would be so good so we actually have an, an interesting comparison point here for Cortex, which is the Cortex animated stuff, mm-hmm. which all of those animations, they're not much more than a minute. And almost every single one of them is actually two little scenes. So they could easily be cut down into two videos that are 30 seconds each, right? Every mm-hmm. single one of them. But I just don't think if they were shorts, they would be as good at getting people into the Cortex show as they are as actual videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And this is just anecdotal, my using shorts, but it's like YouTube really seems to treat the shorts browser and the regular YouTube browser, I'll say almost completely as as totally separate worlds with the little asterisk that the main YouTube browser does try to funnel you into shorts by putting stuff in the recommended side and then like you're in the shorts browser. Yep. But there's no way going back And one thing I found quite interesting is, so again, I've spent time using shorts and just watching them. And even the channels where it's like, oh, I clearly have watched a ton of their shorts. When I am on my computer or I'm on my iPad and I'm just using YouTube, YouTube is not recommending me the real videos from those creators. I'm just very aware of that. It's like, guys, there's channels where you know I have watched 20 or 30 shorts from these guys and you've never put them on the actual main youtube channel like on the home page yeah on the actual home page like it just doesn't show up in browse huh. and like again maybe that's just some peculiarity of the way that i'm doing so but like i have for some channels literally gone to check do they have any real videos and the answer is oh yes they have a bunch all of which are performing way worse in terms of view numbers than their shorts i would not recommend like oh we should do the cortex animated stuff as shorts because maybe this will convert more people over it's like no i don't i don't think that will i think youtube will just show people all of the shorts that we would put up as cortex animateds and never in any way recommend that like oh hey maybe you go listen to one of the whole episodes on youtube the way that they do on the actual main youtube.com or in the youtube app so yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting that we have content that easily could be a short, but I just don't think it's a good idea to do it. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe we cut them up and we put them on TikTok, Mike. There we go. We could do that. <laughs>